Hello and welcome to another episode of Endeavor, both the video show and the audio podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I am Jason Breitkopf, your host, and once me uh, once again with me is Christy Davin. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Thank you so much for asking. I'm doing really well. Uh, we're here today to talk about uh, a topic that is often a sensitive topic, and that is dealing with rejection, specifically uh, when you're applying to private high schools, colleges, graduate school, the rejection letter in particular. And we're gonna probably focus uh, on the experience of the high school student applying to college, uh, just because that is the one that is most uh, talked about in the in the common culture, movies, you know, things like that. So what I wanted to do is kind of talk about this from a couple different perspectives, if you don't mind. No. Yeah. Uh, I know that as, a, as a, an educator, as a, a communications expert, and as a parent, that this is something that you've dealt with, um, as have I personally, and as a parent with um, working with students who are going through high school and preparing them for mm -hmm. this possibility. So I wanted to first talk about um, your own experience uh, with your son. As, as we call, those who've been watching the show and listening at home, Christy has two sons who are in high school. So they're going through this different stages of the college application process. Uh, one as a freshman, if I'm not mistaken. One as a freshman, yeah. And one as a senior. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about your senior student. Uh, what are your senior student's current plans for college? Um, currently, there are none. Okay. Um, let's talk about that. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's, it's different from what everybody, I think, expected us to dive right into, which is when you get a letter of rejection. Mm -hmm. My son uh, will probably go to college, mm -hmm. but not this year, um, for numerous reasons that we don't need to you know, expand upon for, for time's sake. Mm -hmm. uh, we have decided that some sort of gap year program is probably the best bet for this year. Um, from a parental point of view, uh, it's just, it, it makes the most sense until, um, you know, we've seen from our perspective as educators and also with in um, in our business here that a lot of kids go to college because it's the next step in a very traditional path but they may not be either the family's not financially ready or the student isn't emotionally or academically ready and it just for us it just didn't make sense to to wedge the you know round peg into the square hole just because that's um, what seemed to be the next step. So we're looking for right. programs. So, um, so what, first off, let's, I mean, some parents at home or some educators at home will probably know what this is, but for those who don't, what is a gap year? Um, well, loosely, it's exactly what it sounds like. It is a, it is a gap in the traditional process. You know, we, as when we were growing up, it was, you go to high school, you start looking at colleges at the end of your junior year, you apply in your senior year, you go to college right after high school. Um, more and more, um, the t I don't even want to use the word trend, but more and more it has become more popular to question whether or not that path is right for every student. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad that, that that's something that a lot of families are willing to do and guidance counselors are willing to do because not every student, again, is ready academically or emotionally and not every family is ready financially to dive right into college mm -hmm. the fall after graduation. So. Um, there are tr there are structured um, gap year programs packaged neatly as a gap year program, and then you can do something a little bit more self directed and self created. Mm -hmm. um, where, for instance, there are some in our area where there's one you don't know what you want to do yet. Then take this gap year program. It's a residential program mm -hmm. in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is a little bit west of here. 
and you go and you live in there. They call them apartment living. It's just really nice dorms, basically. And the uh, the students live in pods or groups, and they bounce from uh, internship to internship, where they have the ability to try out different things. And sometimes it gives them the opportunity to learn a little bit more about what interests them and what doesn't before they go and spend, you know, the five or six digits on a college education. Uh, if they don't, if you don't find a pack, a program that you fit well into, and most of those do cost money, so if the budget isn't there, you can always create your own, whether it's an internship or, um, an, an, you know, some sort of adventure, some sort of international um, travel activity. Um, the the most important thing is that there is value to it. You mm -hmm. don't just go to New York City and become a waitress. That's not a gap year. Right. Um, and you know, not that there's not value to you know honest work, but if you if your plan is to find something that will appeal to the colleges that you think you'll inevitably apply to, there needs to be direction and focus for mm -hmm. that activity, so that when you apply, it adds to instead of detracts from what you have to offer. Right. So let me give two uh, two concrete examples, mm -hmm. and then one example um, that is still concrete, but but I'm not going to drop any names. So uh, some folks at home may have heard of a gentleman by the name of President Obama. You might have heard of him. Uh, he was president of the United States for eight years, and he has two daughters, one of whom uh, his older daughter, Malia, uh, took a gap year in between high school and her freshman year at Harvard University. Now, her situation was a little bit different than what we're talking about with rejection in that she was accepted into Harvard but decided to take a year uh, before starting school. And many universities will allow students to do this. Is that called deferment? You defer your you defer, admission? Yep, you defer your admission for a year for the gap year. And so specifically, she did two things with her gap year, and that's why I was looking that up. Those of you watching at home on the iPad, I was looking it up. She traveled for uh, three months. If you have the wherewithal to do that, that's great, or backpack around somewhere, she did that, but that was the unstructured part of her year, did that for a couple of months, and then uh, got an internship uh, with a production company uh, in New York City. So she got a, an internship for, uh, I don't know if it was paid or unpaid, but she had essentially an internship slash job for a while mm -hmm. before starting school. Another concrete example uh, has been in the news recently, remember this is 2018, uh, a gentleman by the name of David Hogg, who was one of the survivors of the Parkland shooting down in Florida on uh, Valentine's Day 2018. Uh, he famously was posting on Twitter about his college admissions experience and how he got uh, turned down by his top choice schools. Um, so he decided to take a gap year and dedicate his time to public service and uh, community service for the next year. He has not yet graduated high school. He will do so this <clears throat> June and has already announced that he's going to be doing that. He's become well known because of he's one of the survivors of the shooting and has been a, a, an activist since then. Uh, and a personal example that I have is I've worked with several students who were athletes. And because of the situation with some athletes where their grades are not necessarily as strong as they should be, they're not necessarily going to go into professional sports, although that may or may not be an option. These are students who are highly recruited by universities, yet don't necessarily have the grades or scores to get into the schools that want to recruit them. 
So I've worked with at least three students. Again, I'm not going to drop any names because they're not well-known public figures. They don't have blue check marks next to their name on Twitter. So I'm not going to drop any names, but I have worked with three students. Two of them were boys, one was a girl. Uh, two were in hockey and one was in lacrosse, if I'm not mistaken, who uh, took a gap year and did structured programs in athletics. Basically, they did a fifth year of high school. They took additional classes to help prepare them for um, taking exams that would help them get into school, get placement in schools at major universities, not small colleges, you know, major universities that have programs in those sports. And uh, that came to me for the test prep part of the process mm -hmm. to improve their uh, grades on the SAT or ACT. And is that called a PG year? If you're doing it academically in a structured school environment, is there a difference between PG year and gap year at this point? Because uh, when we were post grad, <clears throat> when we were younger, it was a PG year. Yeah, and that when and back and specifically I'm because it's structured and there's a program. These programs called it a gap year. Okay. So and and again, they were being recruited by colleges who could not admit them for uh, various academic reasons. The students were not hitting numbers that they needed to. They weren't technically academically qualified. Mm -hmm. So they helped the students get set up with these programs that were structured, that there was a residence, that they got to play their sport in uh, semi-pro or amateur leagues. Uh, for example, both of the hockey players ended up playing uh, in the famous uh, semi-pro leagues for youth uh, up in Canada okay. and taking academic classes at a program in Minnesota. The reason I ask is because uh, it loops back around to our original topic, which is letters of rejection and how to handle right. that. Um, I remember that back when I was in high school, the um, the the PG or postgrad year, as you said, was an option if you didn't get into either the college of your choice or into college at all. Um, the postgrad year was a way to increase your academic standing, to increase your academic qualifications, so that you could then apply in the, the next year. It really depends on the student, I guess, and that, that kind of leads me into the next topic. And again, we're talking about what to do if you don't get accepted into the school of your choice. Again, not everybody who does a gap year does so because they were not accepted. Like Malia Obama, mm -hmm. she chose to do so because she wanted some real-world experience and had been in a high-pressure high school environment at a private school in Washington, D.C. with a lot of children of famous people, politicians, etc., being the daughter of the President of the United States. Understandable. Uh, the activist David Hogg is doing so because he did not get in and he's dealing with his rejection by turning that into a chance to do something positive for the world. These athletic students decided to continue their education with more academic programs and continue with their sport. Uh, but if you get that letter of recommendation from your school of choice, something you can do that is kind of like a post-grad thing, which is there are probably colleges near you that are not competitive, and they're usually called community colleges. Where I grew up in New Jersey, they're sometimes called county colleges. And these schools have rolling admission. They don't have uh, admission requirements in terms of academics. You just have to be able to pay for the classes. And they're very good schools. I even taught at a community college here in Massachusetts for a while called North Shore Community College. It has campuses in Lynn, Massachusetts, Danvers, Massachusetts, and Beverly, Massachusetts, or at least did then. They might have more now. I haven't worked there in a while. And I worked with a lot of students in the classes I taught, and I also worked in student life, with students who had finished college and didn't know what they wanted to do with their lives, what you were talking about with that postgrad year, but many students who applied to four-year universities and either didn't get into the school of their choice or only applied to one or two schools and didn't get in. Community college can be an excellent chance to go to college for low cost and, and non-stressful admissions 
and get through those requirements. Maybe get an associate's degree out of it and get a lot of those things that you need for the college experience in terms of requirements out of the way. Pump up those grades and then after one or two years, apply to a four-year school to finish out your college experience and get the degree from the big name school. Mm -hmm. I worked with students who ended up going to schools like Binghamton, Alfred, UC, uh, uh, UMass Lowell, uh, UMass Boston, UMass Amherst, uh, University of New Hampshire, University of Vermont, who were students of mine at a community college for one to two years and then transferred. So that is an option that you can still go to college even if you're rejected by the colleges of your choice. Well, and I know that you and I have talked um, more than once in some of these episodes about our own personal experiences where um, <clears throat> for various reasons my, my list of colleges was long, but um, most of them were reaches. My, mm -hmm. my family, you know, was a, a little bit more, in my opinion, than, than was necessary about the name of the college. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there was the family alma mater, Bowdoin. And um, luckily, my guidance counselor tacked on a couple of safeties. And the, the safeties were the only ones I got into. And so this giant list of mine, I got rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter, mm. including a very lovely personal one from the Dean Bowden saying, you know, you don't meet our academic qualifications. Consider starting somewhere else and transferring in or consider a PG or postgrad year mm -hmm. and then reapplying right and so and I know that you didn't get into or you didn't go to your first choice you got in but you didn't go no but basically what happened was my first choice school was Hamilton College mm -hmm. it's in upstate New York mm -hmm. in a tiny little town called Clinton New York right outside of a big too. terrible city called Utica. Um, Utica is kind of like the Cleveland of upstate New York, I guess. Um, or for, if you're from New Jersey, the Newark of upstate New York. Uh, but Clinton is a beautiful little town, tiny little downtown that's very college-y. The campus of Hamilton is beautiful. beautiful. I loved it. It was my first choice, and I got waitlisted. Um, I actually got into most of the schools I applied to. My second choice uh, was actually Penn State. And I did not get into the main campus. I, I got into one of the other 30 campuses, actually, uh, in a town or city, I guess, called Wilkes-Barre, which I was not interested in attending. So I got waitlisted by my first choice. I got into my second choice, but not the campus I wanted. And so what I ended up doing for my freshman year was uh, going to one of my safety schools. I went to Montclair State College, which is now known as Montclair State University in Upper Montclair, New Jersey. I went there for a year because I got a full scholarship. And uh, I actually, because I was also a National Merit Scholarship, I got that money. So I actually got a refund from the school of $1,000 each semester. Nice. So I had cash in my pocket. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, And I could have done that all four years. But I was there for one year. I got some requirements out of the way. I took some fun classes. Uh, I took some advanced classes that were a risk for me. And I actually did pretty well. Uh, and then transferred. And once again, Hamilton uh, waitlisted me. <laughs> And I ended up going to my second choice school. Well, I actually had uh, two second choice schools, um, Carnegie Mellon and Brandeis. And I got into both, and Carnegie Mellon uh, offered me a moderate scholarship, uh, but I hadn't heard back from Brandeis yet. So I accepted, sent them the $500 at, um, fee for my deposit, and then two weeks later, got a big scholarship from Brandeis with my admissions letter. So I was like, oh, well, I'm out $500, but I get this huge scholarship. So I went to Brandeis instead and had a great time and was able to finish in three years. Now, I did, strangely enough, hear from Hamilton College halfway through my freshman year, which is why I applied again to transfer there. Basically, they said, if you transfer as a mid-year transfer and give up all your credits oh. from Montclair State, <clears throat> so you'll start as a freshman mid-year, 
and so you'll have to graduate in the middle of a year and spend an extra half a year here, uh, we'll accept you now. So I could have gone to Hamilton if I gave up all my first semester credits, but I had taken a full course load, five courses, you know, gotten my requirements out of the way. I, so I was like, I can't do that. I'm going to apply as a transfer. I'm like, okay, sure, you can try that. And so the dealing with rejection for me was having a plan about going to a state school, going to a school that was very affordable in the fact that it was cheap and free, essentially, and then transferring to the school of my choice. Well, and um, it turned out that when Hamilton gave you that option, you were very happy at Brandeis, right? Brandeis ended up the right place for you. It did. I, I, I think there were some things about Hamilton. It's reputation as one of the top liberal arts colleges in the country, and uh, I can't speak highly enough about it even now. Like Even though they technically turned me down, I, I'm not going to badmouth them. They were, they're an amazing school. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got a great history. Uh, some My favorite author as, as, a, as, a, as a child, Terry Brooks, went there, which is how I discovered the university. I saw it listed in his bio at the back of his book, so I looked it up, and it was like, wow. I visited it for a, a week. When I had spring break and the school didn't, and I was able to attend classes, live in a dorm uh, for, for three days, my junior or senior year, I can't remember, and the campus is beautiful. It was actually two schools that combined a, a men's college and a women's college that were partner schools, and in the late 60s, when all the major universities like Harvard, Princeton, Yale went co-ed, Hamilton and this sister school decided to go co-ed by merging. Mm -hmm. So Hamilton is a school that was founded in the late 1700s, early 1800s, so it's got all this classical architecture, ivy-covered walls, uh, where the women's college that had been there was built in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and had all this modernist architecture. And so you have two campuses essentially adjacent to each other that are completely different. And that was an amazing experience for me, visiting there. And I would have gone there, but the interesting thing is, I had an amazing time at Brandeis. And not only was it culturally that I felt really comfortable at Brandeis, the community there, mm -hmm. um, the opportunities, but I think there's something about Brandeis, when we talk about fit in, in our other episodes, Brandeis is a suburban campus. It's in a city called Waltham, Massachusetts, which is 14 miles due west of the city of Boston. And there's a commuter rail station right off campus. And my friends and I and other uh, students at Brandeis, who we call ourselves Brandesians, uh, you can hop on the commuter rail and get into Boston in 15 minutes. And there you're there at North Station and you've got the tea and you've got the city you know, at your fingertips. The, I think the thing that about Hamilton that, I, that would have been a detriment for me was that it's way far away from everything. The nearest city is an hour away in Rochester. There is Utica, but there's nothing really happening in Utica. It's kind of a like a, one of those sad stories of 20th century America where the, the, the factory closes down and the city mm -hmm. basically get, collapses because there's no industry there. Um, so the nearest big city of any interest is Rochester, an hour <clears> away. <throat> and so I don't think I would have had the same experience there. Um, that I had at Brandeis, and that was right for me. I'm not saying it's a bad experience, I'm just saying it was right for me not to be in that rural environment. Well, and I feel, you know, again, Bowdoin, I thought, was my first choice. I had, you know, visited there. It was what I saw as my quintessential college experience. Everything else that I visited became compared to mm -hmm. Bowdoin 
um, you know, it, um, less than ideal. Mm -hmm. But I didn't get into Bowdoin, so I, I accepted at Denison. I was accepted at Denison and Gettysburg, and I didn't visit either one. I mm -hmm. had done no research on either one, so basically it was an eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Right. And I picked Denison with the understanding that I could always transfer. Right. Um, I met my best friend in the whole world, who's still my best friend to this day, the third day of freshman year and never looked back. And in retrospect, if I had gone to Bowdoin, I would have been the little sister of my big brother who was still there at the time, who was the president of his fraternity and the captain of the swim team mm -hmm. and all of this other um, sort of family right. bag. It's not baggage, but it's, you know, the family history is there. And mm -hmm. I, my last name um, was Tallheimer at the time, which sort of stands out. Mm -hmm. And it would have defined who I became, I think, to an extent. Right. Because I would have been in my family's environment instead of paving my own path. So yeah. driving to Ohio with my life packed in my car and having that sort of test of independence and starting fresh someplace else, I think, was a really good thing for me to do instead of just following the family path. Um, my family still jokes about it kind-heartedly. They know Denison was good for me. But, of course, I sort of broke... Basically, a four-generation tradition, mm. um, which be became something that I was devastated by at the beginning when mm -hmm. I got that letter. But I did end up in the right place for me. Right. And the 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 rejection letters that cascaded through from Hamilton, Skidmore, Bates, Colby, uh, UVM, um, Bowden was it, it became this cascade of rejection after rejection, and it was devastating for me it was devastating for my mom who you know you know moms they mm -hmm. just of course you're going to get in they, they're going to see how wonderful you are yeah. and um in retrospect of course my college application was not as remarkable mm -hmm. as what we try to um what we try what we encourage our students to do today which right. is to you know tell their unique story mine was very cookie cutter and right. unfortunately i didn't know then what i know now yeah that's actually interesting because i did have a slightly different experience with you in terms of transferring my application as a as a high school student to college as a freshman was very cookie cutter where my admit my application uh, my freshman year to transfer for us as a sophomore was much more about my story, about my interests, that, that align much more with the sort of things that we talk about here with uh, your personal narrative. And I think that made a difference for me at Carnegie Mellon and Brandeis, which are two schools that are kind of better than any of the schools I applied to and got accepted to when I was in high school, except for Hamilton, mm -hmm. which again was the same, the only one that was uh, both times and was... Uh, Comparatively speaking, in the same range as Brandeis and Carnegie Mellon is top-ranked mm -hmm. colleges and universities in the country. So uh, I think that was a big difference. Uh, but I do have one experience very much in common with you is that I actually never visited the Brandeis campus before accepting it, their offer of admission. I, I mean, I knew about it. I was much more familiar with it than I think you were with Denison or Gettysburg, only because culturally, as a Jewish person, and Brandeis being famously a school with a, a large Jewish population founded by the American Jewish community in response to quote, the quota system at the Ivy League schools in the 1940s, post-World War II. So there's a lot of cultural history there, so I knew about the school. It was, it's very famous in our community. So I was familiar with it, but I had never visited the campus. And, and the funny thing is, my expectations of what the school looked like or would look like was very different from what I experienced, and I and I actually had a really good experience on the campus and uh, enjoyed my time. I expected it to be a much more urban school, mm -hmm. just 
based on my experiences with New York City being right next door to where I grew up in New Jersey and thinking about it as, as you know, in a city like Waltham, I expected it to be a very urban you know, campus and it turned out to be a very suburban, woodsy campus uh, with some very beautiful landscaping and architecture. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that um, before we go too much longer mm-hmm. that um, we do wrap back around to... Yeah. The topic that right. we were hoping to address, which is, and I think we did a good job of talking about alternatives. If you don't get into a college right. that you either either at all or one that you <laughs> want to get go to, yeah. we talked about gap years. We talked about going to your second choice and maybe transferring or whatever. And we talked about community colleges as an we option, yep. which is an excellent option in my opinion. But I think at the root of it, that when you get the little envelope instead yeah. of the big envelope, we kind of skipped over that, <laughs> and I, I kind of did that on purpose because I want to focus on the tiers. I want to focus on. I'm a plan type of guy. I want to focus on. Yes, you've gotten that rejection letter. Here are some plans. If you already are aware of them, maybe the tears can be mitigated somewhat. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I know that this is something that I address in one of my parent perspective videos, mm-hmm. the more emotional side right. of not only how it feels as a parent, but steps a parent can take to support their student through that process. So we can address that in that video. But um, I think our point, not to speak for you, but I think that our point <laughs> is that you're right. It's it's not, it shouldn't be the focus. It should not be, this is the end of the world. Um, I was reading an article about students who apply, they, they pick a first choice, even some of them apply early admission, um, early decision, um, early action, you know, whatever they choose, and they buy the sweatshirt while they're there, yep. and they start wearing the sweatshirt, and they're so certain, maybe even because the college sent them lots of encouraging mail. Right. Said, you know, we see your impressive academic record, we hope you'll consider coming to Yale this fall, or mm-hmm. what have you, and it turns out that they didn't meet the academic qualification and didn't get into that college. And so it's the emotional side of it, 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 it's real, and you can't just sho- shove it aside, but it, is, it should not be the end. I, I agree with you completely. It, it, is, it is real. You have to uh, deal with it, uh, deal with those emotions, feel that sadness. Um, that's going to happen. I was, I was sad when I got that letter, that skinny letter from Hamilton, um, and you know, it took a little while to come to grips with it. You know, a few days or weeks. I don't remember exactly. This was many moons ago. But, um, you know, you, you, you formulate a plan. And as long as you know there are plans available. And one thing that you can do to help mitigate this is, uh, like you said, you applied to a bunch of reaches and two safety schools. Mm-hmm. There were no schools in your zone. One no. of the things that we talk about here with uh, the narrative is not just safeties and reaches, but, but on average, these days, we're 2018, High school students are applying to nine to 10 colleges on average. Many are applying to fewer, but many are applying to more. There's a famous story about a student uh, earlier this year who posted his video and it went viral of him showing his 20th acceptance letter from all 20 colleges. And the 20th was from Stanford, the school that he most, his first choice school. So he got into his first choice school, the video went viral. Um, Some people criticized him for applying to 20 schools, but my philosophy is if he can get into 20 schools, why not? And it's not like he's wasting 19 seats when he rejects those 19 schools and accepts Stanford, which I believe he did, although he might have accepted any of the schools he applied to because he got accepted by them. Those 19 seats open up to someone else. And what most people don't realize is colleges actually accept slightly more people than they have seats. So if a school has 1,000 seats for freshmen, they actually accept close to 11 to 1,200 students because they expect a handful to say, thank you, no, I got accepted somewhere else. 
and it's only if more than the one more than the number of students they expect to reject them do so do they go to their waiting list so he didn't take a seat away from anybody at those other 19 schools he just didn't they expect that so that's why I'm, I'm all for him but a 20 is a lot and 20 is a lot of work to apply to 20 schools it's a lot of fees mm -hmm. it's a lot of applications uh, the types of schools he was applying to specifically I'm sure were not on the common app so he had to fill out 20 separate applications but if you're applying to 9 or 10 schools like the average high school student what we would recommend is 2 to 3 safeties 2 to 3 reach schools and three to five schools right in your zone. And you and I, Christy, have had videos on using Naviance, using the scattergram, checking your numbers, making sure you're academically qualified. And that's what I'm talking about, schools that are right in your zone. If you have a 1200 SAT score and you have a 3.7 GPA, then finding schools where that, those are the numbers. Mm -hmm. And those are schools in your zone. And sure, you can apply to a REACH school where maybe you need a 1300 and a 3.9 GPA, but your personal narrative is amazing. And you can get into those schools because they do accept students with numbers below their, their, their zone if they have a strong narrative. So I'm not saying don't apply to REACH schools. Absolutely, reach for the stars. If you shoot for a 6 and you get a 6, that's great. If you shoot for a 10 and you get a 7, you're already doing better than you thought you would. That's my personal philosophy. But don't uh, I think whoever helped you, whatever parent or guidance counselor helped you, did you a disservice by having you apply to five reach schools and two safeties and no schools in your zone? Mm -hmm. And you know, I've looked up Denison. Denison's a very good school. I don't really know if I'd call Denison a safety school. It's a strong school. It's got a good reputation. It's much more competitive now. Um, Denison actually advertised or um, or released a, a, an article about the fact that they are now more competitive than ever. Their acceptance rate is down in like 32, 34%. Mm. And I think when I applied, it was somewhere maybe even around 50 or 40%. Right. So, oh, that's more an artifact of the number of people applying to college, yeah. I think. I mean, well, that's in a whole other article. Yeah, I think we should, actually, we should do another episode on that. Yeah. So I think we're going to wrap it up right now. Does that, that I sound think good to you? That sounds great All because right. we can keep going. That's true. We always do. I want to thank you for watching and or listening to the show today. Uh, I am Jason Breckoff, the host. I was with Christy Davin, uh, who's quickly turning into my co-host on a lot of these. Um, Thank you so much. We've been talking about dealing with rejection, that thin envelope on uh, from colleges. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please uh, share any episode, whether it's on YouTube or uh, in your favorite podcast episode. You can like us. You can subscribe, which is a great way to get uh, the episodes right away when they post. Uh, the audio podcast episodes usually post on Tuesdays and Fridays. The videos go up any time of the week that we can get them up on YouTube. And as uh, always, if you want to communicate with me directly, you can find us on Twitter, at EndeavorPod. That's our uh, handle there. And if you ask any questions, I will respond to you as quickly as possible because I love Twitter. And as always, let's keep learning. <laughs>